0: go to the Lord again. Father, as we turn now to the preaching of your word, I pray that your words will not fall on deaf ears. Father, I pray that you will turn all of our attention to your word, plant it deep, the truths of your word plant it deep into our hearts. Father, may it not just Be words to us, but may it affect us and change us by your Holy Spirit. Make us more like your Son in every way. Lord, I pray that even words that maybe we don't want to hear, Father, may we receive them in humbleness and see the truth of what you have to say. Lord, I pray that your love will be felt today and we will experience a renewing in our hearts and the love that you've given us so freely, we return to you by your help. Father, we confess we are completely, completely and utterly helpless and in need of you this morning. Lord, have your way with us. Do what you will. Make us the people you have us to be. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Throughout the previous chapter, Paul has been on this theme of honor, this honoring one another in the church. Remember that Paul has already told us what this letter is all about back in chapter 3, and he's telling how one ought to behave in the household of God. And he's been doing that, he's been explaining that with this theme of honor. Those older than us should be respected. The widow is worthy of honor. Last week, Paul spoke about elders and said they're worthy of double honor. Today's passage is also about honor, and it's addressed to a group of people in the church at that time that was a large growing section of the church. Paul addresses them as bond servants or slaves. They're bond servants or slaves. Paul tells them that the master is worthy of all honor, continuing this ongoing theme about honor. But what Paul speaks to today it seems completely foreign to us, doesn't it? None of us are slaves or or masters. This is a relationship that we may think that we don't connect with. It's important to know as we go forward that in Paul's days, slavery was not like what we understand or what we know about here in America. We should not take what we understand, what happened here and transfer it back to Paul's day in Ephesus. Our history, American history with slavery, includes the horrible slave trade, the haunting enslavement of one group of people, and a terrible civil war to determine their freedom and their future. American slavery was based on race, and it was generational. Back in Paul's day, the slavery that he's writing to was not on the basis of race and it was not automatically generational. It is estimated that approximately 60 million slaves lived in the Roman Empire at that time. As much of One-third, as much as one-third of the population of Ephesus, where Timothy is, where Paul is writing to, to that church, as much as one-third of the population there were slaves. Some in the Ephesian church were slaves. Others in the church were slave owners. Some even were maybe both, both a slave and a slave owner. Many in the church were slaves or former slaves. By the time Paul wrote this letter, it's good to know that radical changes had already occurred by that time to improve the treatment of slaves. Under Roman law, slaves could work themselves free, and very few slaves remained enslaved in their old age. A slave at that time could own property and even own other slaves. You could be a slave yourself and you could own other slaves. Slavery did not determine a person's social class in that day. From the outward appearance even, you could not tell who was and who was not a slave. It would be hard to determine who, who was the slave and who owned slaves. A slave in that time could be a merchant, they could be a government official, they could own their own business. And selling oneself into slavery was in fact, a, it was a common means to gain Roman citizenship and to have entrance into upper society. You wanted to move up in that culture You could have, and many did, sell yourself into slavery, into the upper class, in order to be considered part of that upper society. This is nothing like what we experienced in this country. They cannot be compared. They are apples and and oranges. One was economic, the other was racial. That does not condone the slavery In the past, okay? I'm I'm not doing this to say what Paul is writing to is okay. We just need to understand that when he's talking to slaves and to masters, that there was a difference. It is not just a one for one. It is unchristian to own another person, okay? We need to understand that and lay that out there. I'm just trying to help us see that there was a difference. There were many evils of slavery in the ancient world. Now, while we don't have here Paul condemning slavery, it seems like he's, he may be talking to it as if he, he wants it to continue and how to do it rightly. He's not condemning slavery in our passage, but he does in another letter. That's important to note also. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21, he says, Freedom is more preferred. And even earlier in our own letter here in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 10, Paul condemns enslavers. These were men who sold another person into involuntary slavery. Do you hear the difference? In Paul's day, most of these slaves were voluntary by that time with all of the changes and the reforms that that were going on. And he's condemning enslavers who would force people into involuntary slavery. So while Paul does not mention slavery here and and condemn it, we need to understand why. First, like I mentioned, reforms were already occurring. Second, Christianity's main objective is not social reform. Christians are involved. Christians go and they put forth effort to help people's livelihoods and where they are. But the main objective of Christianity is not social reform. It's so much greater than that, and that is what Paul is talking to this morning. And third, Christianity itself among the body within the church refutes slavery. The whole idea of slavery just goes right out the window because everyone is part of the same family. We're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. So there's neither slave nor free. We're all equal in value and important in the work of Christ. And so context here is key as we go through through this passage. In Ephesus... Paul is writing to this large section of the church, telling them how they are to be as church members, as part of God's household. So we need to remember that that is where he has been, that's what he's been writing to, and that's what he continues today. Some of them, some of the Christians, they were slaves at that time, and they had non-Christian masters. Others were slaves, and they had Christian masters. But again, that that relationship is not in the way that we think about it. All this talk about slavery and masters, you may have tuned me out by now, but I ask you not to. I ask you not to tune me out. Don't think that this passage has nothing to do with you, or that it's merely a history lesson, because it's It's so much more. We're told every word that's in Scripture, every word is breathed out by God and is given for you. It's given for you. So receive this truth and your faith will then be strengthened. Your soul will be nourished and your heart will be full. And so as we go forward, I I pray, I'm asking you to continue to follow along and see that yes this very much has something to do not only with you but it's for you another error to make is to read this passage and to immediately jump to today's text and think that it's all about the workplace today it's the closest we have to the text, right? None of us are slaves. None of us are masters. It's very close when we think of the employer and the employee relationship. That That's pretty close. An employer can can seem like a master. We can seem like like, it can feel like we are slaves. But I think if we made that jump immediately, and I started talking about the employer and the employee relationship, that we're going to miss a whole bunch here in this text. There's so much more to this. This goes beyond just being a good worker. This goes beyond what we should be like at the workplace. So Paul is telling this this group of believers how their conduct represents who they are in Christ. We need to see that also. Paul is telling this group, it doesn't matter who they are right now, we're going to get into that, but we need to see that Paul is addressing a group in the church and telling them their conduct represents who they are in the church, and it represents Christ himself. Our behavior testifies to who Christ is. Our behavior testifies. Our behavior points to our Savior. And it shows what the church is all about. And so for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of Christ, we must be concerned with the mission that we've been given as the church body. We need to stay focused and remember what our mission is is the great commission of telling the world that Christ is redeeming it and all who hear His voice will come and enjoy everlasting life and love. That is where we need to be at this morning as we go through this text. And there are two underpinning truths to this in our texts. There are two underpinning truths. They tell why this text is bigger than the employee and employer relationship. There's one in each verse, and I'm going to get to that. Together, when you put it together and you look at this text, together they remind us that God and other people matter more than our own circumstances. Do you believe that this morning? Are you here this morning understanding the truth that both God and other people matter more than what you're facing, than the situation that you are in? It matters more than your own circumstances. It's important to note here that Paul was not a slave, yet he regarded himself and he also regarded Timothy. That's also important. Paul reminded, or regarded rather, he regarded himself and he regarded Timothy as doulai. That's Greek for slaves of Christ. That's how he begins his letter to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants or slaves of Christ Jesus. Seeing oneself, seeing yourself as totally surrendering to Christ, Where he has complete authority and mastery over you, that is a good thing. That is a good thing. We call Jesus Lord and what? Master. We call Jesus Lord and Master. That is the essence of our faith. When we completely surrender ourselves to our Master. Seeing that truth in our text, when we willingly lower ourselves to others, what we're doing, we're giving them a picture of what belief in Christ is like. The institution of slavery doesn't do that, right? Paul is not here. He's not condemning the institution in this passage. I've shown you in other places where he says it has no business in the church. But here he's addressing that picture between slave and master. And he's writing this letter as he considers himself a slave. Not to any other man, but to, but to Christ. Whether forcefully or for gain of some kind, the institution of slavery can't give that, that right picture. But Christians can We can give that picture of total submission to Christ from a heart that longs for Christ and wants to see others come to him regardless of what we're facing. That's a beautiful picture of totally relying on him and him caring for you. And that's what Paul's talking to here. Paul is not talking down to these people He doesn't see Christian slaves as beneath him. He's addressing this large group in the church who are living in those circumstances. Him addressing all there in verse 1 signals this enslaving to Christ is the same for every person who is under Timothy's pastoral care. He's not classifying them. He's recognizing where they are, He's recognizing what they are faced with, and he's telling them how to give a presentation, how to live out this personal representation of the gospel. And he's relating to them as a fellow slave in Christ, and he wants their view to widen He wants their view of what they're facing and what all this is about, what life is about. He wants their view to to widen out, and he wants their view to be lifted up, not to the masters, but to the heavens where Christ reigns, where our master is. That's what Paul is talking to. He says in verse 1, give a good impression... Of the faith. That's the first thing we need to see here. That's your first note there with this outline. Give a good impression of the faith. That's what he's telling this large group of believers. Showing the authenticity and the true reality of our faith is important. Faith is not just an internal conviction, is it? It is not just something we accept and we hold it inside. That's not faith. J.I. Packer gives insight on this. He says, faith is a belief and behavior commitment to Jesus Christ. Faith is a belief and behavior commitment to Jesus Christ. In another source, Packer says, The Christian faith is shaped and its nature determined entirely by its object. Just as the impression of a seal is shaped entirely by a die stamp that is pressed down on the hot wax. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are impressed With Christ, we have the imprint of Christ and we ought to be now seen as belonging to him. And thus that then says we live in a way that our faith is shown to be real, that our faith is authentic. Faith is not just agreeing to a set of facts. That's not biblical saving faith. Just acknowledging that Jesus is real, for instance. That's not faith. Faith is responding to God's revelation intellectually and relationally. Faith is responding to God's revelation both in your head, acknowledging, yes, what God says about himself is fact. It's true And it's receiving him in the heart that determines what you desire, what you want, how you then live. That's faith. If you focus on one or the other, if you focus more intellectually on the faith, or if you focus more relationally on the faith, you will end up somewhere other than real faith. It drives us in how we live and how we are in every way. Everything about us now belonging to Christ. Remember the context again. Remember the context that this verse is given. While instructing the church how to live for Christ and behave as the household of God, Paul tells the church that honor is important. Why? Why all of chapter 5 and end here to to chapter 6, why is honor so important? It's because honoring Christ is important. Everything we do, all that we are, all that we think about, everything we say, it all points back to him. And since that is the case, we can't get around that, that is the Christian life, If it's that way, give a good impression then of your faith so that others will see their need for him also. So this first part, when he's talking to these slaves, what he's saying is there's an evangelistic reason to honor it. It's evangelistic. But that's not all he says in verse 1. We give a good impression of our faith so that God's name and his teaching won't be reviled. It won't be slandered. To put it positively, honor those in authority over you for the sake of the name of God. That's the second point in the outline. Honor those in authority over you for the sake of the name of God. Of God, so that God's name and His teaching, our doctrine that He gives us, are revered and esteemed. Telling a slave to honor their master seems completely contrary to other parts of Scripture, doesn't it? It seems completely foreign to us, but even beyond us, right? We could, we could work our way and seek to understand that. But when you look at other parts of Scripture, this seems completely contrary. Paul, why not just tell them to live as free men? Does it, we give a good impression of our faith so that God's name and his teaching won't be reviled. What about freedom in Christ, Paul? Paul? What about the freedom I have in Christ? It's that very freedom in Christ that's the foundation to what Paul is saying here. The freedom in Christ is the basis for what Paul is saying. The yoke of slavery is a tremendous burden. It's difficult and it's undesirable. It is a result of a fallen world, it's wicked, it's evil. Yet every person who's separated from Christ, they are in a worse position than that slave. That is where Paul is aiming at in this text. Yes, Paul condemns slavery in other parts of Scripture. But here he's looking at the evangelistic reason for that master, that non-believing master. And he's saying their soul matters their eternal state matters the yoke of slavery is horrendous but those non-believing people are headed to hell that is what we need to see see it's freedom in Christ puts life in perspective Freedom in Christ, when we're in Christ, we begin to see that everything in this life, good or bad, what we consider really helpful and good and desirable, or if it's just flat out evil, all of that in this life is temporary, but the state of a person's soul is forever. That is what Paul is helping all of us see here. Freedom in Christ is, when we are liberated from our sin, we're given eternal life and we're given an eternal perspective on life in all of everything. It puts it in perspective. It's no longer circumstances and conditions of our life that drive our actions. It's love for God. To honor Him and His name, to learn and follow His ways, This command that Paul is giving gives another picture. That God is worth more than our very lives. You're sitting here this morning. Do you believe that this morning? Or is God just here to help you? The God of the Bible is worth more than our very lives. He is treasured above all, and we, followers of Jesus Christ, we trust in what he says and what he does. A Christian at that time could have heard Paul talking about freedom in Christ and thought they no longer had to fulfill duties given to them. They're no longer even thinking about their fellow man. There's a need for us to serve with excellence and obedience to those over us. Because God's name could be damaged otherwise. How? Paul, why don't you choose another group of people to make your point? This is the clearest point that Paul could make. Of all people to change their circumstances and their life, Paul is saying, look higher than that. Look further than that. God and his name is at stake here. How? God will either be honored or dishonored by those who are part of the household. Imagine you asked a person to do something. Imagine, it doesn't matter what it is, it could be something really simple, okay? Maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend, that, that part doesn't matter. But you're asking this person to do something. And you see, they start to do it, and you're like, okay, it's going along well, and you leave. Whether for another responsibility, what, what have you. But, but you leave. You come back later and you see them hanging out with with a friend of theirs. You don't really know this person. And the task is not completed. And they're just having a ball. They're just having a great time. What are you going to think of that friend? Won't you see that friend as a bad influence? That's the same thing that people will see of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Here's another example. You're given a task by a non Christian. Again, it doesn't matter what it is, but they've either asked or told you to do something, and you do the bare minimum, and you even see the need to grumble and and complain about it. This brings discredit on Christ because they could say, Is this how a Christian follows Jesus? It's okay for you to badmouth and leave tasks undone? That's a Christian? Now, I know that those examples are not a direct correlation with what Paul is talking about here and what those people faced. I I understand that. I'm not making light of that. But the concept is the same. We should do nothing that would taint God's name. God We need to remember God is in control of every circumstance. We must trust him. We must honor his ways and fulfill what he's given to us. That shows his worth and his majesty. And again, that's ultimately what life is all about. Now, this is not the only place in scripture where Paul speaks to this. If you will, please turn with me to Titus chapter 2, verse 9. It's only a few pages over. It's page 998 in the church Bible, Titus, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Again, this is Paul writing another letter, and this is what he says, Titus 2, beginning verse 9. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are to live lives that are holy and blameless, to make God's name attractive to non-believers. We don't want our lives to be the reason. We don't want our lives to wrongly attribute to people blaming the gospel for what's wrong in the world. Next, in verse 2, Paul tells us other believers benefit from our committed service. Other believers benefit, they're blessed, from our committed service. Here, Paul gives another reason for why God and other people matter more than our own lives. Paul is emphatic here. Paul is emphatic that just because a Christian slave may have a Christian uh, master, that does not permit them to disregard or disrespect that Christian who was over them. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Paul says mutual faith and belonging to the family, the same family of God, should never be reason for us to disrespect, to discount, or to be lazy toward other Christians who may have authorities over us. Paul says rather it's the exact opposite. He says, rather, they must serve all the better. When we receive God's love, we share that love with one another, even in how we treat the other. We have unity of faith, but different roles under God's sovereignty. That doesn't change. The gospel is at stake here again. Right? In in verse 1, the gospel God's name, And that person seeing the reality of what faith is, that was at stake with a believer and a non believer. This time, the gospel is at stake between two believers. Paul points to growing in the faith. He says they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Paul was not looking to keep the master ruling over the slave. Nor was his focus on the liberties that a slave should rightfully have. He talks to those, both of those, in other places, and I've talked about that, but that's not his point that he's getting at here. He appeals to serving other Christians in the way that Christ serves us. This leads others closer to Christ. When you serve a brother or sister in the Lord, when you're serving them, you're showing them more of Christ and you're actually leading them closer and closer to Jesus Christ. They benefit from it and it makes us more like Christ. So we benefit from it. Paul told the Galatians the same thing. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another in the Lord. Galatians 5:13. Paul used himself as an example to this in his first letter to the Corinthians. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Why, Paul? That I might win more of them. That I might win more of them. We should give good service to other Christians simply because they are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we should work all the more for them, not take advantage of them, Not take of the relationship that we have. We're going to see each other in church. No. We should do this to show the family of God cares for one another sacrificially and to help each other grow in the faith. Paul then says, teach and urge these things. We should take this, what we're hearing today, We should take them into our hearts. We should take them in our hearts, and we need to live this out, and we need to help fellow believers learn what this says and help them do it also. This will strengthen the body, it will build up the church. This word guides us into radical service of others. Our lives, he doesn't say it doesn't matter when it comes to priority, it doesn't. We're not the top priority. Christ and his name is the priority. And then others going to Christ, seeing Christ, growing in Christ. That's the priority. That's where we as Christians need to be. The Bible does not pretend that the circumstances we're in or that we face Ahead, the Bible does not pretend that they're not hard or unfair even. You can't get more unfair than a slave and a master. But it declares, what Scripture does declare, is that there's more to see. There's more at stake here. If all we see is our position, our circumstances, our situation, we will not have the joy of truly living in the peace and the security of a holy God. When we see that God's name and his honor are always at stake, and he has us secure in his ever-loving arms, then this world and all that we face, even the injustices and the evils of slavery will seem incredibly small compared to the one who's for us. That he's greater and more satisfying than anything else. That in him our hearts are full. We will put him first and others before us. We need to know those who have used this text to say that it condones slavery, they abuse this text. We need to know that, that they got it completely wrong and turned around, they've missed it, they've twisted it. And we need to also see those who say this text is only about the workplace today, they don't take it far enough. Does this word only apply for when we have a job? Are we to only look for God and others' welfare when we work? No. This applies to the workplace and in every circumstance we find ourselves. If we have Christ, We are witnesses to His all-satisfying goodness with our lives, even when our circumstances are unfair or people do evil to us. Showing respect was not just for when these Christians were given tasks by their masters. It's showing respect. It's giving all honor, Paul says. It was to be how they were to live their lives. How they were, how they went about their day, reflecting what they saw in Christ. Reflecting how good and awesome he is. That God in his name be exalted and adored in us and through us. That others see the importance of faith, that the spiritual condition of a person is more important than the physical condition of a person. So I ask you this morning, how do you honor Christ? Is it with lip service? Is it just words but no thought to your life? Do you really honor Him Do you remember that Jesus came to earth? The Son of God, the Son of God, who is more majestic and awesome than anyone, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. On this earth, he suffered injustice, yet he remained faithful to his mission of serving the Father and his people. No claim to his right as God, which he had every right, but he gave no claim to his right as God to be treated better. His sacrifice that takes away sin and shows God's love is for us and it's for our example to follow. Christ lived and died a death to set you free from sin. Not hard problems, not difficulties, He died to set you free from sin. He's now ascended to the highest place of honor. In Christ, we are saved forever. In him, we have new everlasting life. And we, you and I, are the beloved. Through him, we live lives of honor. To honor the Savior and to honor his people. How could Christian slaves do this? They held on to Christ. That's how. They looked to Christ, not their circumstances. That's how. They loved Christ, not themselves. That's how. They remembered Christ's promises that far outweighed what they were facing. Remember, there were many slaves in Paul's day. How they were when they dispersed For the week after the worship service, reflected on God and the church, and it's that way today. How are we when we go from here? How we conduct ourselves throughout the week reflects on the witness of Christ and the church. Will non believers see a people who come to feel better about themselves, who are looking for ways to improve their own lives? who need church as a crutch, or will they see the truth of Christ and His love for us? Will they see His importance? Will they see His love and grace through us? Will they see us serving them so they will know what serving Christ is like? Will our behavior be a pillar and buttress of God's truth and His promises? Are we all about Him and His honor and His teachings and His grace? We need to be. We ought to be. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have said that this life is not all there is. There's more to see. God and His glory given to us by the Holy Spirit through the finished work of Christ matters most. Let's honor those above us to show what honoring Christ is all about. Let's show respect toward them so they will see and learn how much more God deserves and other believers be strengthened to carry on in their faith as well. God and Jesus Christ and other people. That's what we're all about. Let's pray.